going through Genesis the way we have been for years now. Um, so, let's, but this will put us right about halfway, 50 chapters in Genesis. So here we are in chapter 25. I didn't know if we'd ever make it uh, to chapter 25 before Jesus returned. So that's an accomplishment. Um, my goal is for us to end with the death of Abraham. And then starting next week, um, for the next nine months, my goal is the Wednesday reading, which is day three and it ends on threes and eights, right? So day three next week is Genesis six to nine. We'll look at either those three chapters or I'll just pick one verse, right? That's, that's what Danny's going to do. He's going to find one verse and he's going to, and you're going to teach on that one verse on, uh, on Sunday mornings. But, um, so it's, it's our goal to grow as disciples as we read through the Bible, uh, together. Um, with that said, Genesis 25, uh, Lord willing, we'll, we'll read the first, uh, we'll get through the first 11 verses. Uh, let's start with the first six. So I think this is, a, this is a part of the story that a lot of us are surprised about Abraham, and that is he had a, another wife and, and other kids. Uh, Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah. She bore him. Now, here we go. All right. Zimran, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. Jokshan fathered Sheba and Dedan. The sons of Dedan were Asherim, Let, Letushim, and Leumimim. Yes, you don't know it either. The sons of Midian were Ephah, Epher, Hanak, Abida, and Eldaah. All these were the children of Keturah. Abraham gave all these he had to Isaac, but to the sons of his concubines, Abraham gave gifts. While he was still living, he sent them away from his son Isaac eastward to the east country. So a couple of things to note here. One, this is obviously the conclusion of the Abraham story. He's going to die by the end of verse 11. Um, and so that allows us to look at the entirety of Abraham's story as a whole. And what you'll find is Abraham's um, story opens up with a genealogy, right? You go all the way back to chapter 11. You have Tyre of Babel, then we get a genealogy climaxing in Abraham, and then we start the Abraham story. It ends with the descendants of Abraham. Um, and here in chapter 25, you get the descendants of Keturah, and then you get the descendants, uh, later we won't get this far, of Ishmael, and then we meet Jacob, right? So, so you really have three uh, uh, three sections of the descendants of, of Abraham. So what you have then is an ecclusio. It's called a bookend. So you open with a genealogy, you close with a genealogy. Um, and so what you have here includes the death and burial of Abraham, uh, the genealogies of his sons and all that. And so the rest of Genesis, and really we could say of the Old Testament, is the story of Isaac and Jacob. Um, so the first 25 chapters uh, includes thousands of years of history, the last 25 uh, few decades, right? So the story really slows down. We've looked at dozens of generations. Now we just have two generations that we're going to highlight. The story of Isaac is a little briefer. Jacob's a little longer, especially with the Joseph narrative. So, so let's start with Abraham and Keturah. Um, and uh, I doubt any of us, if, if you were to ask on Jeopardy, um, who was the other wife of Abraham, you would say Keturah. I wouldn't have, right? Uh, I mean, she, she basically gets six verses here, and that, that's it. Um, now, this does introduce to us the issue of remarriage after the death of a loved one. Uh, the Bible obviously isn't against it. In fact, Paul encourages, right? He tells young widows 
to remarry. Um, and uh, so, so certainly there is... Um, okay, sorry. I, I got a spam text. Hey, I have an awesome deal for you. Um, and then I started... Because people got texts from me last week. Some of you all got the uh, phone bites. Another pastor in, in our association, under his name, a similar text went out to his members. So you want to be creeped out about this digital age? Two pastors, text going out to his members. So let that be a blessing to you today, okay? Um, anyways, so um, now studies do show that men are more likely to marry than women. And they're particularly more likely to marry faster than women. Um, I've, I've heard plenty of widows say, you know, I, I got enough love for a lifetime, even if it was a short time with my husband. Men are just different. It's not that they didn't get enough love for a lifetime. It's, it's that men struggle with loneliness very differently. They really need that companion. It's almost like there's a verse in the Bible that says it's not good for a man to be alone, right? And it's a very real reality. Um, I still remember when uh, my grandmother died suddenly in a car wreck, um, and my grandfather remarried. And there was the sense of, well, who's, who's this other woman, right? You know, and, and they got married. And I remember everyone's like, I'm so happy that he's happy. It seemed quick. Now, from my experience, it always seems quick, particularly to the children, of, of the one lost, your adult children, right? So I don't know what the solution is to any of that. I'm just saying this, this does introduce the idea of, of remarriage after the, the death of, of a spouse. Um, and uh, certainly the Bible isn't, isn't against that. Um, so after decades of being married to Sarah, they had a, they had a, a long marriage. He, he does remarry. This would not have been unusual in the ancient Near Eastern world. In fact, uh, I've been reading a lot about Henry VII, uh, of England. Uh, his wife died in childbirth. You may know that his son, Henry VIII, is the one that everyone knows. But Henry VIII was the second son. His first son had just gotten married and suddenly died of the sweating sickness, whatever it's called, right? And so there's a real panic. Now Henry is down to one son. And if something happened to Henry VIII, there's no more heir. And you remember Henry VII came to power by war, and so everyone wants now to take his spot. So he and his wife conceive again, and she dies in labor. So now the king is, is without a bride. And so one of the names uh, that were sent to the pope for him to marry was Catherine of Aragon, who ends up marrying Henry VIII. Um, you know, so why? Because it was very common, and uh, the king needs the queen, right? Uh, for practical reasons, for, for one, not just political reasons. So, um, so this wouldn't have been unusual in the ancient Near Eastern world for him to, to remarry. Now, we meet Keturah in verse 1. Her name means incense, fragrant smoke, or spice. Um, and no wonder her uh, descendants, as we'll see, are often associated with the spice trade. Uh, seems to go all the way back to, to the beginning of this matriarch. And it says she was a concubine. In fact, you'll notice in verse 6, I didn't pick up on this earlier, to the sons of his concubines, plural. So now, you could say Hagar was a concubine. She was a servant girl used in this sort of light. But it's very possible that in addition to Keturah, Abraham did have other concubines, particularly after the death of Sarah. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. That, again, would not have been unusual uh, in the ancient Near Eastern, Eastern world. Um, 
And by the way, um, uh, one Chronicles says the sons of Keturah, Abraham's concubine. Right. So, so it's all, she's always been viewed as a concubine whom he marries. Uh, now, in Jewish tradition, uh, when they read this story, they try to make Keturah and Hagar the same person. So then what you have is Hagar is sent away, um, and then after Sarah dies, she is brought back. That's, that's probably not the case at all. I think that's fanciful reading of, of the text. Um, or they try to say that uh, some suggest that Abraham was married to Keturah prior to Sarah's death. So what you have is, is a bigamy situation. You'll find that Jacob will have, um, of course, Jacob will have two wives and two concubines on top of that. Um, I'm not sure that's the case. In terms of the order of things, the text puts the death of Sarah and then this gap with the marriage of Isaac, and then we mention uh, a remarriage of Abraham. So I'm not so sure uh, there were two wives at the same time. Um, and we get additional sons of Abraham. Uh, there's not a whole lot of information here. Uh, Zimran means musician. He's never mentioned again outside of really a few genealogies. Uh, in fact, yeah, I think he's... Yeah, he's up here. So that's basically where you're going to find him is in these genealogies. Uh, Joshan means snarer, which is interesting because Jacob is going to mean heel grabber. Or think of it as someone who, who uh, uh, sticks his foot out and trips you on purpose. That's Jacob, a deceiver, right? A bad dude. Uh, and he's the son of promise, right? Um, Medan means contention. Midian means strife. He, of course, is the father of the Midianites uh, who are... Cousins of the Jews, right? So actually, you can, you can go farther than that. Um, Isaac and Midian are half-brothers. So, um, and so you would think they would be natural allies, and there's times that they are. For example, when Moses flees Pharaoh in Egypt, he goes to the Midianites. Jethro was a Midianite. Zipporah, uh, the daughter of Jethro that he marries, is a Midianite. And so there, there is monotheism there, Jethro. Jethro, we talked about in our study of the uh, uh, royal priest. Jethro fits in that mode of a Abraham or a Noah or an Adam or a, a, a Melchizedek. Um, but then later in the story of the Old Testament, there's real hostility between these two nations. Um, uh, they, particularly when you read Joshua and Judges, the Midianites are a major enemy of Israel. So at times they're good, at times they're bad. So like the Moabites, the Moabites take David in, but then the Moabites would just turn around and try to kill David, you know, and they war. So this is, this is typical. You get this tribalism. At times they get along, at times they don't. Um, you know, like America right now. Um, Ishbak means he releases. Shua means wealth. Um, and that's really about all we know about these guys. Just, just their name. Um, so these are other sons of Abraham. And then it takes some of the sons and then gives us additional information. Uh, Jokshin has uh, sons mentioned here. So these are Abraham's grandsons. Sheba means seven or oath. Uh, Dedan means low country. Now these two had regions associated with the caravan and spice trade. Um, and they're both located in the Arabian Peninsula. Um, Dedan's sons, so these are the great-grandsons of Abraham, Ashuram means steps. Letashim means hammered. Leumim. Um, in Hebrew, you have to pronounce every letter, so it's mma'im. 
meme or something like that. It means peoples. Uh, and my, I think though, like my Hebrew is not good. So, so James, you can correct me here. I think your Hebrew is probably better than mine. The I am usually is a plural indication. Um, so I assume that's going on here. You do with that whatever you want. It's free. Uh, keep it in your back pocket when you're watching Jeopardy. Um, the sons of Midian, so these are grandsons of Abraham. Ephah means gloomy. Ephor, a calf. Hanok means dedicated, similar to Enoch. So you have Hanok and Enoch. And so we've met two Enochs early in Genesis. One is a, uh, the son of Cain. The other is, of course, Enoch who doesn't die. Uh, and now we have Hanok. Abida means my father knows. So the A-B is, is father. I is, is my, right? So Elijah is the I is my. So my God, El, is Yahweh. Um, Abijah means my father is Yahweh, right? So Abijah, my father knows. Uh, Ilda'ah uh, means um, God has known. So, so you have my father knows and God has known. Do with that whatever you want. I have no deep spiritual meaning. I'm sure there is one there. I just haven't uh, discovered it. Regardless, even though um, he had... Um, he had other sons, like Ishmael, right? And the writer's going to remind us of Ishmael. Isaac was the child of blessing. That's really what verse 5 and 6 is. So, so hey, look, these, these other nations are going to affect the story, particularly many nights. But don't forget, Isaac is the son of promise. So notice a few things. First, he designates Isaac as his sole heir, not Ishmael, Isaac. Isaac's the second born. Uh, and that's in verse 5. Verse 6, he gives gifts to his other sons. Uh, these are gifts, not rights of inheritance. Now, this will come back later, won't it? When Jacob doesn't just want gifts from Isaac, he wants the rights of inheritance. So he has his, his brother to sign away the documents, right? And then he has to deceive, the deceiver deceives his own father by dressing as, um, as, as his brother. It's interesting, he takes the form of an animal. It's very Cain-like, it's very serpent-like. Uh, you remember that Cain is said to have um, sin is crouching at the door like a lion. And so Jacob takes on the form of a wild animal. Ishmael is said to be, the sin is to be like, like a wild donkey. Jacob takes that imagery for himself. But a year from now, we'll get to that story. Maybe at this point, two years from now. Uh, thirdly, um, notice Abraham sends his sons away, just like he did Ishmael. Now, Ishmael probably went west towards Egypt. Um, initially. Um, these go east. Now, you, you, you've been trekking with us in Genesis. You, when you see that you're going east in Genesis, you should know these, these are not good guys. In fact, notice verse 6. It says, um, he sent them away from his son Isaac eastward to the east country. Well, I'm not good at directions, okay? I'm a millennial. I rely on my GPS technology. But eastward is in the east country, right? I had to look that up. That, that is true. It's what Apple told me, right? But remember, in Hebrew, repetition is emphasis. So we are to make note they're going east. So again, let me remind you of, of some of these. Uh, the Adam and Eve are driven east out of the garden, which means there is a gate, a door on the east side of the garden. Um, remember, the garden is a type of temple. And so when the tabernacle and temple are built, the door is towards the east, in the heavenly temple, according to Ezekiel, the door is facing the east. 
Uh, and the garden is, is the model for that. Uh, chapter 4, Cain went away from the presence of the Lord, settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Chapter 10, the territory which they lived extended from Mesha in the direction of Sephor to the hill country of the east. Right, And this is setting up Tower of Babel. Um, as the people migrated from the east, they planted uh, Babel. Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. He thought he was going to the garden. He was going to a wilderness. Uh, uh, yeah, so, so th- those, those, are, those are those. So they're going east. They're not going to be friends of Israel. They're going the wrong direction. Okay? Well, this leads, of course, to, to the death of, of Abraham. A um, couple of facts here. First of all, Isaac would have been about 75 years old when his father died. I want you to think about that. Abraham waited till he was 100. And Isaac sees his father for 75 years. That's a blessing. Uh, because the assumption we have is Isaac's going to grow up without his father. But in reality, he, he doesn't. He, uh, Abraham actually sees his grandchildren, his grandchild Jacob, and, and Esau, of course, because uh, Jacob would have been about 15 years old when Abraham died. In fact, if you go down to verse 26 of chapter 25, afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore him. Now remember, Jacob is 75 when Abraham dies. So at age 60, he has Jacob and Esau. So, so even though Abraham dies without seeing the fulfillment of all the promises of God, they're still wandering around uh, you know, as a sojourners in, in Canaan. So they, he doesn't possess the land. He's not the father of many nations, but he sees the promise of God two more generations past him. Right? And that, that, that is a, a real blessing. So let's read, starting in verse 7. These are the days of the years of Abraham's life. Notice the weird language. These are the days of the years of Abraham. That weird language is, is on purpose. 175 years, Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man full of years and was gathered to people. It's, it's weird English, isn't it? Like if I were editing these two verses, they'd be half the length. In fact, you say Abraham died at age 75, lived a good life. Next, right? But, but that, that awkwardness is, is on purpose. Verse 9, Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him in the cave of Machpelah in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar, the Hittite, east of Mamre, the field that Abraham purchased from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with, with Sarah, his wife. After the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac, his son, and Isaac settled at Be'er Laharoi. Notice there's no reference of Keturah. He's not buried next to Keturah. You do with that, again, whatever you want. I don't have any deep insight there. Um, so he lives 175 years. That's a ripe old age. It's significantly shorter than the days before Noah. Um, but still, I mean, I don't know of anyone living that long. If you go back 175 years, what is that? Roughly 1850? Can you imagine what person who lived in 1850, the stories they could tell? Man, that is crazy. Yeah. John Tyler has two living grandsons. Yeah. They spent in 1840. Yeah. 1841. Two living grandsons. Yeah. And they would have known of him. They would have actually met him. Right. Right. Yeah, that's pretty wild. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
So uh, verse, uh, well, verse seven, these are the days of the years of Abraham's life. Uh, the days is significant, right? Because God creates the days and the years and all that. Um, and the, the awkwardness is to emphasize he, he lived a long time. And as we'll say in verse eight, he lived a full life. So he breathed his life, died at a good old age. That phrase, good old age, is, um, is really the, the fulfillment of the promise, right? I will bless you. And, to, and, and the word blessing, the genesis of that is um, uh, be fruitful, multiply, right? So God blesses, and blessing comes with the idea of fruitfulness, not just reproduction, but a fruitful life, a full life. Right? And, and so when Jesus gives the Beatitudes, he, he uses that language. So blessed, fruitful, full are the, are the poor in spirit. So, so the, the impoverished, in spirit are those who are the fullest, right? The irony of the Beatitudes is all over the place. So he's, he's lived a full life. Um, and really what you have is he dies in shalom. He dies in peace. That is that after a hundred years of, of, uh, as a sojourner, uh, he finally found Eden in the wilderness. And, and the story has been about that pursuit. It started out... Um, after God gives him Canaan, he leaves Canaan for Egypt. And what does he find in Egypt? The land of abundance, he finds a wilderness, right? His wife is nearly taken from him and all that. Lot goes to a garden area with a good economy, and he, he finds just chaos and judgment. When Abraham learns to settle and trust God, by that oak, the tree um, in the wilderness, he finds Shalom, an Eden, and that is what it means to live a, 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 a full life. And he has truly been blessed. He's gathered to his people. Uh, this is a way of saying death, right? And in fact, this is gathered to his people and died. Um, by the way, I think this hints at an afterlife in Genesis. Um, let me give you uh, a parallel to that. As for you, this is a promise of God. You shall go to your fathers in peace you will be buried in a good old age, right? That's, that's the hope Abraham has, right? Because he's saying, I'm getting, I'm, I'm getting past my prime here. I need a boy, okay? And he says, don't worry about it. You got plenty of time. In fact, you got 75 years you're going to spend with this kid, okay? Now, it may sound odd. A lot of people believe the Jews did not believe in an afterlife. You've heard that before. It sounds odd because we've, we've assumed the Bible teaches this, and it does. When Jesus was debating the Pharisees and Sadducees, one of the big differences between those two groups was the belief in the afterlife. You remember the Sadducees come up to Jesus and say, okay, um, woman's husband dies, she remarries his brother. He dies, and then he dies. And after seven brothers, they all, they all die, and, and no one ever thought to check her knife drawer, right? <laughs> I mean, or, you know, what does what she putting her food because something's happened to these guys okay and you remember they they say kind of snarky in the resurrection because we all know there isn't one whose husband is she that's when jesus says we'll be like the angels not be, being married or given in the marriage right well the sadducees only believed in the first five books of the bible the pentateuch they didn't believe in joshua and malachi the pharisees did but sadducees only the first five and the samaritans as well and so they, say, they would say that there's no evidence in the Pentateuch, the Torah, of an afterlife. So you remember how Jesus answered that? He goes to the Pentateuch. He, he, he goes to Genesis and he says, Haven't you read God saying, 
Um, I am the I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Not I was, but I am, which means we still hanging out. You get something similar with this language. To go to your fathers in peace does mean to die. It hints at the very least of an afterlife. After all, notice, go to your fathers and being buried are almost two different things in chapter 15 and in chapter 25. To be buried is one thing. To go to your fathers is another. One is this life, the other is the next life. By the way, this has been the language of of nations in history throughout throughout history, right? So I don't know any Tolkien fans, right? King Theoden, right? Right as he dies, they do this in the movies too. Uh, he says that I can go to peace to 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 my fathers in whose mighty company uh, I can be proud of, you know, whatever. Right? And that that was the hope, right? To to walk into the afterlife. And most cultures believed in the afterlife at this time. So I, I know that sounds like a you know, we're getting distracted here. But I do think that's important, that he dies and he goes to his, goes to, um, his fathers in peace. And, of course, that is shalom. He dies in, in peace. He's gathered to his people. Now, one of the odd things about that is he's the first of his people, right? <laughs> right? He's the beginning of the Israelites, but the language, I believe, uh, speaks of an afterlife. By the way, that language of gathering to your people is only used in the first five books of the Bible. So let me give you a few examples. Um, uh, of verse 8, we saw later, verse 17, Ishmael died as 137 years, breathed his last, and died, gathered to his people. Right? Um, Isaac, same thing, breathed his life, died, gathered his people. Jacob, right? Um, he breathed his last, was gathered to his people. Numbers, Aaron, he breathed his last, uh, gathered to his people. Uh, Moses, in Deuteronomy 32, is uh, going to, to be gathered to his people. The language changes by the uh, monarchy to, um, to lie down with one's fathers. So you get uh, in 2 Samuel, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers. Again, notice it's not father, it's father's speaks of generation, speaks of a people group. There is an afterlife. Um, and notice, I will raise up your offspring. I'll raise you up till you go to your, your fathers, but I will raise up here on earth uh, offspring after you. David slept with his fathers, was buried in the city of David. Um, similar sort of thing. But you'll notice verse 9, who shows up to the funeral? Now, just, just assuming you don't know anything about this story, okay? Do Isaac and Ishmael got a history yeah. And is their history tied to the guy they are called a buried? You bet your sweet bippy. Isaac's mama kicked his mama out to the curb. And then she came back. And then after you were born, little brother, your mama threw a fit again. And so made our daddy kick mama out again. We almost died. Now, let's let's just be honest. The drama between these two men is far worse than the drama you have in your family and mine. Can, can we agree on that? Okay. So take lesser drama in our families. What do you expect is going to happen at this funeral? Because if it were our families, it's not good. It's not good. I mean, that's, I've, I've, I've done tons of funerals. Funerals have a way of bringing out the worst of us, and rightly so, because... Because we are trying to grieve 
in peace. But grief brings out in us a lot of emotions we haven't dealt with and a lot of broken relationships that we haven't tried to mend. And when someone holds a family together is gone, all those animosities come rushing to the forefront. Chances are you have a portion of your family you have not talked to for years since a certain person in your life died. I've got it in my family. There are funerals that our family hasn't gone to because whoever held the family together has died, and we haven't had anything to do with that family, haven't had anything to do with us. It's every family here I'm willing to bet. Grief has a way of doing this. So, so here's, here's me being a pastor is fix that before there is grief where you have to deal with it. Because it's very rare, extreme grief leads to reconciliation. It can happen. Very rare. It usually leads to greater division. However, Ishmael and Isaac figure out a way to function together to bury dad. So we need to give them some credit here. Because our families here probably wouldn't have been able to do this. I mean, think about it. They go to local funeral home. Ishmael's from out of town. He had to get the first flight, the red eye, of course. He flies in. What does he discover? Isaac's already been in talking with the funeral home director. He didn't consult Ishmael. He didn't ask Ishmael's ideas. He just assumed he knew what, what daddy wanted without him. Doesn't this sound familiar, right? Sorry, set up the meeting. And Ishmael wanted to go to the other funeral home. Don't you remember? That's where we went with grandpa. Well, that's your side of the family, Ishmael, not my side of the family. And then you had the whole part is, I may be the youngest, but I'm the heir of all things, right? I mean, that's not going to get feisty at all, is it? You are so Egyptian. <laughs> Ishmael, you walking like an Egyptian, brother, right? So, so you know, you can see how this would, this would play out. Should we do an autopsy or not? Or, or what kind of casket should we get? Or, or, you know, maybe Abraham didn't have, finish up his will. And so he's, they've got to divide everything. Then they've got to clean out, you know, his, his house and all that sort of stuff. Who gets this and who gets that? And should we do an estate sale? Or should we give it all away to the goodwill? And what is important? What isn't important? And, and what was important to daddy who isn't important to me? And now, now, you know, he wanted you to have it, but you're not even taking it. So now I'm offended by this. Or I wanted that, that but but. My daddy left it in his will for you to have it. And, but I really want it. I was going to give it to my kids. You know, this sound familiar, right? But these guys are able to come together and to um, figure it out. Notice in verse 9, the order of the names is given. Isaac and Ishmael. Because this sets up the theme that the younger will lead the older. So you'll get this particularly with uh, uh, Jacob and Esau. The Lord said to her, so this is the end of the chapter or later in the chapter, two nations are in your womb, two peoples from within you shall be divided. One shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. So the younger will be softer. Jacob's very much softer, not a hairy man. Um, Esau, on the other hand, looks like he hadn't fully evolved, right? <laughs> and and so, so the stronger will end up serving the weaker, right? And, and, and so we see that happening here already. God chooses the younger over the, the older. And in the narrative, this is the first time these two men have met since Hagar and Ishmael were kicked to the curb. Again, I read this as a 21st century American pastor, and I think, this must have been dicey. Had to have been. 
They had to work through a lot of stuff. Later, the story of Jacob is the two brothers have to meet. You remember Jacob keeps sending all these gifts ahead of him, trying to, to, to get his brother like him, and then puts his entire family as a fortress in front of him. You've got to go through my little kids in order to get to me. Yeah, it's cowardly, but he's the softer. He's the mama's boy. Esau's the daddy's boy, right? He's the hairy man who can, who can shoot an arrow pretty, pretty good far, right? And yield a Excalibur or whatever it is. So these guys had to, had to figure some, some things out. Um, well, you see in verse 9, they, they go to the cave of Machpelah. Um, and in case you don't make the connection, the, the, the writer does it for us. Um, this is the field. You remember that weird story of Abraham buying the field? It's unnecessarily long. Um, well, this is where it pays off. The little bit of land Abraham owns when he dies is where he's buried. And it's the first track of land the Jews will own until Joshua enters the promised land and takes possession of it. It starts right here. So this is a significant moment. Abraham is buried with his wife, Sarah. Uh, and we still practice this today, don't we? Um, I was a young pastor, uh, no gray hair then, and um, in our uh, our church didn't we didn't have the cemetery, but the cemetery that the community owned was right behind our church. So many associated the cemetery with the church. In fact, the people who ran the cemetery were almost always members of our church, you know. Um, and I was up there, and some of the members will say, you never got to meet so-and-so, or this is my, my parents, this, you know, all this. And then uh, one lady came up, and she said, well, this is my late husband, where, where he's buried. You know, and he, he had died several years prior to us going to Goshen and stuff. And I was looking, and I saw his name, saw all his information, and she was telling me, and I looked over. Was her name? Creeped me out. Now, I, yeah, I've seen that a thousand times now. The first time you see that with the living person next to you, you know, like, doesn't that bother you? You've got kids. Make them do this, right? I mean, plan everything else. I do not want my name on a tombstone, right, um, before I die, right? <laughs> I don't want to see that, right? It's, it's like seeing your bride <coughs> before you get married, right? I mean, you just, no, no, I just, you know, cover it up or something. Right, and uh, so she's like, "Well, yeah, this is where I'm going to be married or buried, right?" Um, and so that that's a it's a beautiful tradition that 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 we have. Um, uh, and Kator is not even mentioned here. I just found that interesting. Um, so verse verse eleven: After the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac his son, and Isaac settled at Beer Lahar Roy. Um, now this phrase after the death. Um, it only occurs here in the Torah, um, but it is used in the Old Testament to signify a major change in the history of Israel. Um, I see, uh, well, let, let me give you the, the examples. Joshua 1.1, after the death of Moses, that's a major change in the history of, of, of Israel, right? Now, now, now Joshua's going to take over. Can you imagine following Moses? All right. he, he got you to the door. You've, you've got to slam the door open. Well, then we get in the next book, after the death of Joshua. Can you imagine following Joshua? In fact, no one could. The book of Judges is a mess. Um, 2 Samuel, after the death of Saul. We see that phrase yet again. Saul was supposed to be the, 
the giant slain dragon killer who's going to bring redemption to Israel. And he failed miserably. And so this is a big changing point in the story of Israel because now David, who has already been anointed of God, is, is coming. Um, I said this, uh, we just came up on the anniversary, like the two, three year anniversary of the death of Billy Graham. I, I, I said for years, and when he died, I said, I, I think that historians will see that as sort of the, the concluding mark of sort of like Christianese America, um, and that his death marks a clear post-Christian America, because um, the 20th century was dominated by Billy Graham. Dominated. This church had sponsored um, two Billy Graham crusades uh, in the 20th century. One was Cincinnati, one was Lexington. So the church organized, you know, a group of people to go, and, and it was an outreach that this church did. It was Billy Graham Crusades. Um, and uh, I sent one out on Facebook as I was going through some, some history, and I, I got a lot of responses. Hey, I was saved there, and, and I went to that, and I took friends, and this was a memorable moment for me, right? And that was typical. 20th century America was dominated by Billy Graham. Before him was Billy Sunday. Before him was uh, a, a D.L. Moody, um, and, and we don't have an evangelist like that. Um, so I, I do see the death of Billy Graham as one of those um, tectonic shifts in a culture. Maybe I'm wrong. You can correct me if, if I am. But notice that the promises of God now shift to, to Isaac um, and that Isaac will be blessed. Now, so far, he just got married, but no children. And we're going to find that the story of Abraham will, will be found in in uh, Jacob. In fact, I wonder if I could find that. Um, um, yeah, verse 21. Um, so this is really the beginning of Isaac's story. Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. Now, where have I read about a mother barren? Oh, it was Isaac's mom. And, and, and the difference between Jacob and Abraham, Abraham's solution was go down to Egypt. That didn't work. Sleep with another woman. That didn't work. Complain about it to God. Right? That was, that was his, his process. But in a single verse, we find what Isaac does is he prays for his wife. Now, in three years, when we get back to the story of, of Isaac, um, um, there's a lot of application there, isn't there, husbands, particularly? Isaac prayed for his wife. But you'll notice in the narrative, it says God blessed Isaac. And that's the promise. The past tense speaks of the certainty of an event that hasn't happened yet. And then as the story unfolds, we discover there was a time when they may not, they may not conceive at all. But Jacob's response is better than Abraham. So now the reader is starting to think, well, all those problems with Abraham are in the past. It isn't long before we realize he's just like his daddy. And Jacob is, is even more like Abraham to, to a worse extent. But he settles in uh, Beir Laha Roy. Uh, this was named by Hagar during her exile. Um, it means well of the living one seeing me. So, so there, there you can see the references. We saw it back in chapter 24 with the... Uh, a union between Isaac and, and Rebekah. Um, and, and you remember that Ishmael uh, means God heard me, God hears me. And she names the well, God sees me, basically. And so this, this becomes the new Oaks of Mamre 
And it's, it, he doesn't plant a tree, but it's, it's a spring, right? It's a well. And so you have then a new Eden in the wilderness. The story has shifted from Abraham to Isaac, and now it's going to come at this hard-to-pronounce uh, Hebrew place. Um, and, and here, Jacob, Isaac's going to extend his borders. He's, he's going to continue the promise of God. Uh, and, and then Jacob will continue that, that same process. So, uh, so thus, Isaac lived near Hagar's well. Um, and so we see the, the story of the Messiah is going to run through Isaac. Um, and he is now the patriarch of the Jewish family, uh, a, a newlywed in the narrative. Um, and so he, he just found comfort for his mother at the end of chapter 24. Now he's lost his father at the top of chapter 25. That's a lot on, on, a, on a man. I was going to say young man, but he's 75. Um, so he's not young, but at the same time, uh, that's, that's a lot. It's a big burden to, to carry. Well, that is the end of the story of Abraham. Verse 12 starts the genealogy of Ishmael. So we'll, we'll start next January with a genealogy. I bet you can't wait. bet you can't wait. But what you get here in the story of Abraham is um, God bringing order out of chaos. So the Tower of Babel was a chaotic place where people can't understand each other and they spread out. And out of that, God chooses for himself a people who will, uh, whom he will call his own. And through them, he will redeem the earth. And it starts with an imperfect broken man. He was an imperfect father. He's an imperfect father. He's an imperfect leader. And God used him still to bring about the Messiah. And it's amazing that when the Jews speak of Abraham, they don't gloss over his faults, but they see him as a hero because God made him a hero. And that's the good news, ultimately, of the story of Abraham. He's broken like we all are, makes mistakes like, like we all do. But that did not keep God from using this man. And there's good news in that. Um, today's Bible study and tomorrow's Bible study at the Capitol is on John chapter 8. And Jesus makes a striking um, comment. Uh, Jesus is saying that he's divine in all this. And the people say, um, well, you, you clearly are the son of the devil. They're basically on Twitter in John chapter 8. They just accuse each other of names, like high school. And, um, and in the end, uh, Jesus talks about how Abraham was looking forward to his day. And they say, how is that possible? You're not even 50 years old. You're not even 1,000 years old, let's be honest. You remember what he said? Before Abraham was, I am. Which means you can't appreciate the story of Abraham without Christ. Christ was leading the story that will climax into his crucifixion and resurrection. So you can't get Jesus without first getting Abraham. All right, Danny, we miss anything? It's good stuff. All right.